What's up, you guys? Happy Wednesday, and welcome back to another episode of 20-something Trials. I'm your host, Gabby, and I am super grateful to have you here with me on this beautiful Wednesday, or I don't know, whenever you're listening. So today's episode is one that, um, I'm going to be honest with you guys, when I got confirmation that Renee Rouleau had agreed to come on the podcast, I screamed. Like, not, mm-hmm, oh my God, I'm so excited. Like, full on screamed, called my mom, called my dad, harassed my boyfriend and his roommate. Like, I was so excited. I was so excited. Renee, and I'm going to give you her formal bio, don't worry, but Renee Rouleau is one of those women in business that you can't help but admire. You can't help but be just super impressed by the woman she is, the legacy she has built, and the company that she has just immersed herself in. Her company was recently named um, one of Austin's top workplaces, which is such an incredible honor, and we'll get into that in this episode. But I'm so excited. She is the freaking bomb, you guys. Like, I think you are going to love this episode. But before we get into... All of that and all of the goodness from this week's episode, I just wanted to check in, say hey. I hope that you guys are doing well. I hope that wherever you are, you are safe. I know there has been so much going on in our world between, you know, COVID continuing to be, at least in North Carolina, on the uptick, and then, you know, with all of these protests going on and everything surrounding um, Black Lives Matter and the death of George Floyd. So I hope that you are safe. I hope that you're advocating in, in whatever way and however that looks for you. I think that's one thing that I have really learned is that the way that I use my voice is not necessarily the same way that, I don't know, my neighbor does, whoever, you know, like we all have such different different takes on what it means to be, you know, an advocate and what it means to ally. And I think all that matters is that we are each putting in that work to, to do better and to be better. So for the last two weeks, I've listed resources in um, the show notes of this episode. Those resources are still there as well. They will continue to be there. One of the podcasts that I listened to was Stopping You with Kelsey Jones. She um, mentioned that she had been giving to the Loveland Foundation and I looked into it and I absolutely fell in love with what that organization stood for especially you know one of their big things is all about making sure that mental health is applicable to black women Um, and so as somebody who has benefited greatly from therapy that is a foundation that I would like to continue to donate to so right now my way of giving back um, financially is setting up monthly donations to them So that's something that I would encourage you guys to do if you're able to. It's a great foundation. So thank you, Kelsey, for that recommendation. Um, And there are so many other ones, you guys. Do your research. There are some that will be listed in the show notes. The Loveland Foundation is also there as well. So I would encourage you to check that one out too. Um, Other than that, I have officially finished out the school year, which is uh, weird because what a freaking bizarre first year of teaching this was. Next week, I'm going to be doing an episode called The Teacher Trials, which is going to be all about my first year. So make sure to listen to that one. It will be the first solo episode in like weeks just because 
I don't know, me and solo episodes, it's like a love-hate relationship, I think, but I hope you guys will enjoy that. I'm excited to honestly have an opportunity to sit down and reflect and share with you guys what that first year was like, both in the classroom and online. Um, I'm going to share some horror stories, some really heartwarming stories, and just basically do an audit of that first year. Um, other things going on in the world, Rachel Hollis and her husband are breaking up or divorcing. So naturally I texted Chase and I was like, yo, let's just call it quits while we're at it because what? You guys know. I mean, how often do I mention this chick on my podcast? You guys know I love her. I am, I felt like my parents were splitting up and I know that sounds so weird. I was just in shock. And I think for me, it was a really big reminder to not pay attention to everything that goes on on social media and also a reminder that there's so much bullshit online. And I don't mean to say that their relationship was, you know, fake or whatever. I know there's been so many people who have just left like really nasty and mean comments on um, their Instagram posts when they announced the news. But it's just one of those things where it's like, God, you think you get this story. You think you know these people from, you know, Instagram or whatever. And it's like, no, you don't know anything. So if you have ever struggled with comparing your life, your relationship, whatever, to stuff that you see on social media, don't because it's stupid. Like, I feel like we get that reminder so often, but when we see these big names and these people with these massive platforms basically be like, oh, surprise, it's a weird thing to kind of digest. Um, and so I definitely know that as a podcaster, it's very easy to compare myself as a teacher. It's easy as a girlfriend. It's easy, blah, 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 blah. But just it was a good reminder to mind my own business and stay in my own lane. And so if you need that reminder, I hope that serves as it for you because, oh, my God, you can't believe anything online anymore. It's nuts. So anyway, that's my little rant. I felt I had to address it to you guys because, oh my God, how often do I talk about her, right? Like, oh, it's crazy. One of my girlfriends sent me the picture and was like, did you hear that they're divorcing? And I was like, it's fake. It's not true. There's no way. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh my God. So I'm super curious to see how they handle it. Um, my boyfriend has made so much fun of me for how I have handled it. And I'm like, yeah, I guess this is kind of ridiculous that... I'm just in love with them over the internet and, you know, don't know them in person. But here we are. It's okay. It's all good. So that is my little soapbox for you. Enough about me. This podcast is not about me or my frustration with Rachel and Dave Hollis right now. This podcast is about the incredible Renee Rouleau. So let me give you some background as to who this skincare expert is. Renee Rouleau is a lifelong skincare enthusiast. She has dedicated 30 plus years to the art of skin perfection. She's considered a complexion coach and blemish-busting hero by many thanks to her magical touch and ability to make skin concerns quickly disappear. Renee knows that great skin is rarely achieved with a one-size-fits-all viewpoint. Her 30 years of hands-on experience as an esthetician and trusted skincare expert has created a real-world solution, products that are formulated for nine yeah, girl, nine different skin types so that your face will get exactly what it needs to look and feel its best. Aside from being a skincare guru, there's a reason that there's a hashtag called Obey Renee. She is a motorcycle enthusiast. She is an adventure junkie and all around a really fantastic 
person. I was super honored to sit down and chat with Renee. I use her products. I'm a skin type too. Um, so I've been using her products for a few months now and have noticed some major, major changes to my skin. As somebody who did not struggle with acne as a kid or a teenager, my skin issues really came out in adulthood, which like, oh my God, I'd rather have just dealt with it when I had my braces, but whatever. So I've seen major transformation in my skin. Um, I'm really grateful that I did find her. She has touched the faces of Demi Lovato and Camila Mendez. So she's, she's legit guys. I think there's a reason her reputation is what it is. So I cannot wait for you to learn more about her story, her background, her life, and her core values. She's the bomb. So without further ado, let's go ahead and meet Renee Berlow. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of 20-something Trials. I am so excited to have Renee Rallo with us today. For those of you who are not familiar with her and her work, I'm going to give her an opportunity to introduce herself. So Renee, go ahead and give us the elevator pitch. Who are you? I am a CEO, a company founder, an esthetician, a cosmetic formulator, a skin researcher, um, and uh, just overall happy person that enjoys life. Um, so yeah, my name is Renee Rallo, and I've been an esthetician for 30 years, 30 plus years, and I'm the 100% uh, sole founder and owner of Renee Rallo Skincare, which is based in Austin, Texas. Um, I have my own skincare line. It's based on nine different skin types, and I have a great team in Austin. Uh, I have 19 employees. We have 10,000 square feet of office and warehouse space. And we just got recognition two weeks ago as the best place to work by the Austin Business Journal. So uh, super exciting. But yeah, that's more or less who I am. I'm also a motorcycle rider as well. I, I didn't mention that important part. It's funny, I was gonna ask you, like all the work stuff is incredible, right? But I think the fun stuff too comes from like, who are you? If we were to take work out of it, like what are the things that you do? And I've seen a lot on your, um, on your Instagram, especially on your motorcycle, which terrifies me, but it's also the coolest thing in the whole world. <laughs> well, I'm definitely an adventure speaker. I definitely, uh, recognize the value of life and living each day to the fullest. And I, I'm definitely somebody that loves, I have five, four buttons core values for myself and that I live my life by. Um, I'm really kind of somebody who's focused on um, being free to be me, accepting my quirks, but also my strengths and uh, just somebody that really kind of grabs life by the horns and lives the best life I can. And uh, I'm really good about um, surrounding myself with really amazing people. I'm very conscious of where and who I invest my time in. Um, you know, just, you know, life is short and you need to, you know, be very, uh, protective of your time. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And now are these values? Cause, okay. So I'm 23 and these are all things that I feel like I work towards, right? These are all things that when I look back, you know, when I'm, you know, you, you're 50, right? Right. Okay. So like when I'm 50, I would, I want to be able to say everything you just said, right? So are these things that you have worked on since you were in your twenties or 
I sure have. Um, I've always done core values for myself. Sometimes I'll, I won't update them for several years, but um, yeah, I learned about core values. I took some class kind of like in my early 20s and I loved it because at the end of the day, we are all unique and we are, we have our strengths or weaknesses and you need to play to your strengths. And, and so what I've used core values and I'm, and I'm happy to quickly talk about a core values exercise that I do. Absolutely. Um, you can do one for themselves, but I see core values as a guiding light and meaning it's a, it's a decision maker for everything in my life. And so I'm always reviewing them to make sure that I'm saying who I really am and that the decisions I make are uh, in alignment with who I am. You never want to sell your soul. You never want to compromise who you are. And so core values, um, I use them also in our company as well. And they're a decision maker as well. And that's how I think really, uh, that's how I think of core values is a decision making tool. When you're deciding if you should go left or right, you look at your core values and it's plain and simple what the answer should be. Absolutely. And you know, it's interesting. Anytime I hear core values, I think company. I've never thought to apply that to myself as an individual, but I yeah. imagine, especially as somebody who has her own business, whether that's, you know, your individual moral compass has to be in alignment with your company. Has there been a situation where, you know, you maybe have had this opportunity in front of you that didn't align with those core values that ultimately led you to say, okay, no, I think we're going to pass on this. All the time. Yeah. All the time. Oh, yeah. 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 We use them all the time. So when you think about it from a company standpoint, you know, when people have core values, it's like you walk into like a tire shop and they'll have like their core values on the wall and you kind of just are like, oh, whatever. And, um, but for our company, we really use them. I mean, it is a decision making tool. So when we, you know, get, you know, presented with opportunities, when our leadership is in disagreement about which way we should go, um, we pull our core values out and we're like, the answer's here. And we go through them and we're like, oh yeah, this is the answer. Do you want me to quickly just talk a real short core value exercise that people can do? Please, yeah. All right. So this is kind of for your personal core values. So what you do is you choose, ideally you should have like five core values, but you should pick five people who you admire in your life, right? They could be still living, uh, not living. It could be somebody you've never met before. It doesn't matter. Just five people you would, you admire and you write down those five people. Then for those five people, you pick out a few one word traits or a one sentence trait of what you admire about them. And what you'll find is that the people who you admire really are kind of a lot like you, but maybe they possess something that you would like to be more of, right? You kind of, they're aspirational, you strive to be more like them, but really you'll find that the people you admire are, are have you know a lot of similarities to yourself. So then what you do is the words you wrote down for them or the sentence that you wrote down of why you admire them, in there are your core values words. And so, um, so basically what you then try to do is pick out um, five words that, you know, really express who you are. Um, so for me, I'll quickly read you my five core values. So I created the five core values 
their five words, but I also want to identify what that means, right? So just to, like one of my core values is bold. Well, what does that really mean to me and how can I use it as the decision maker? So it's, um, when I'm expressing my core values 100% to the world, I'm bold. And bold means I can clearly identify a personal or professional goal that I'm striving to reach. I am saying yes more and in forward momentum with new challenges that allow me to learn and grow, be fearless, make new memories, and get me out of my comfort zone. The next one is individualism. I'm fully operating in the visionary seat of my company and playing to my strengths in all areas of my life. I am use, I'm utilizing my own unique talents that I bring to the world and not having to be someone who I'm not. I'm expressing myself creatively and not caring about when what anyone else thinks. I have acceptance for who I am, quirks and all. The next one is inspirational. I'm using my skills, talents, knowledge, and life experiences to inspire, empower, and be kind to others. I'm helping change lives for the better to leave an impact on the world around me. Joyful. I'm living in a state of being comfortable, happy, and healthy. I'm treating my body with love through healthy habits such as regular exercise, stretching, and eating well. I'm surrounding myself with people who bring positivity and add value to my life. My positive energy is contagious and others get joy when they're around me. And the last one is freedom. I'm the architect of my world and I'm living life through my own wishes. I'm acting as an independent spirit and I value the power I get from being able to make choices even if others don't understand even if others don't understand, I am free to be me. And then lastly, my mission statement is, my mission is to do what I love with people I love while making a positive impact and leave a legacy. So I, at least twice a month, I go back and review those just to make sure that I'm, you know, staying on track, but then also as decisions or as opportunities present themselves, I use it that way. And I update them. Last time I updated them, was this was by a year ago that I that I last updated it. So I updated but, it with need be. That's phenomenal too because I feel like it's so easy to get caught up in the day to day. It's very easy to let other people influence you. You know, so when you have these values at the forefront, you're you're essentially making these micro or macro decisions grounded in these core values, grounded in the person you want to be, the person you're striving to be. And I imagine the success, the success that you've had since implementing this, I'm curious if that has increased in any way. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, anytime that you have good tools to help make decisions and good decisions that are true to who you are, I mean, you're always going to win. And I think for people, I think where this exercise comes in really um, where it's really valuable is for people in their 20s because what happens is when you're in high school, you know, you're friends with who you're friends with because whatever, they live down the street, you've known them since the third grade, you know, whatever. Then you go to college, now you get a new set of friends and you're picking and choosing those people and maybe they have some traits to who you were in high school or whatever. But as you get out of college, I mean, you really start to change as a person, right? You come into your own. And what happens a lot of times is people hang on to friendships and based on, because I, because we went to college together and we were roommates and we've been through so much or because I've known her since the fifth grade and our, both of our mothers were best friends or whatever. And so so we tend to hang on to relationships out of kind of a loyalty, but the reality is we change a lot. And who we are now, you know, isn't who we were back then. And and if you're growing and evolving and changing as a human, you want to make sure that you're 
the people in your world are people who support you where you are in your life, right? Like some people, what I found with certain friendships is I started my own business at 21. I became a responsible adult at 21. And some of my high school partying friends, they didn't like that. They wanted me to be the party girl, right? And it's just like, yo, that's not who I am anymore. Like, this is it. And so certain people were kind of holding me back. And and ultimately, when I was 26, I sold my half of that business I had and, and I moved to Dallas. But I moved to Dallas all by myself. And a big reason for that move was... I needed to kind of start a new life. I needed kind of a clean slate and, and not to say that I also wanted to get out of the snow too, but, um, Fair. um but, <laughs> but like sometimes you kind of need to start over, you know, and, and I'm still good friends with, you know, a handful of my friends up there. So it's nothing about that, but sometimes I just was a different person and I just needed to kind of like let go of the past in, in a certain way. You know, it's interesting. My mom has said to me, since I was a, like, probably since I was a teenager. Um, and now that I'm in my 20s, I'm starting to understand it more. But she would always say, Your needs in your 20s are going to be very different than in your 30s, and so forth. You know, every generation, every, uh, or every decade, you know, brings on different needs and wants and values, et cetera. And, you know, looking at who I am now versus who I was at 13, right? That's 10 years ago, or 16, 18, like, that it's a very different woman, which I think is how it should be. So exactly like you said, you know, you weren't the crazy party girl anymore. Sure, you still had fun, but your your goals changed. Your vision started to change. So I kind of, I want to dive in to this 21-year-old who's starting a business because holy crap, that's, that's crazy. So was it, was, but being an esthetician, was that what you always wanted to do? Yeah, I, well, I, I, um, my grandmother was a hairstylist and she owned her own hair salon. So that was mine. That's uh, funny. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Nice. So, I mean, I grew up kind of seeing that, that profession, um, somebody making somebody feel good, look good. And so that had a big influence on me. And so I knew that college was not my path. I was definitely, I, um, my brain worked differently than school kind of supported that and, and, or traditional schooling, I should say. And so when it came time to figure out what I wanted to do, um, it was actually my mother who said, said, you know, Renee, you've always been into beauty and that's always been your thing. And, and so I pursued that. Um, I started out originally down the hair path, kind of like, like my grandmother, but then I ended up changing and, and realized that skincare, there was a profession for that. Cause this was back in, you know, 1989 or something like that. When like being an esthetician is not as well known as it is for, you know, as today. So anyway, um, so yeah, but then I also, you know, I worked for the salon for two years and me and my coworker just, we wanted to do it differently. And she was kind of a mentor to me. And then we started um, our own business and our clients followed us. And then that was super successful. Um, um, and, but then just kind of personally, I wanted a lifestyle change and then moved to Dallas, Texas was calling and started Renee Rillo Skincare in Dallas and then had my company there for 19 years and now we're based in Austin. Okay, so is this the move you were talking about then where you just, you picked up, you needed a change? To Dallas, yes. To Dallas. But then the decision to move to Austin was also just kind of a change too and not that anything. So I there's an article 
um, EliteDaily.com posted it many years ago, and it's called Why Staying is Settling, or Staying is Settling, Why You Need to Move Five Times in Your Life. Well, I moved every two to three years as a child. My dad was a retail and was just always getting new jobs and climbing the ladder of success. And so I, from kindergarten to my senior year, I was in seven different schools. So I was always used to moving, but this article is really talking about like on your own, right? Not just being dragged along by your parents. And so, so really I've only moved twice now. Once to Dallas was by myself and then, um, and then to Austin was my own decision as well. But the Austin one was because I read that article online and somebody had posted it like on Facebook, like six years ago or something. And I read it and I was like, wow, that's amazing. And six months later I moved to Austin. And the concept is that, you know, life is about getting out of your comfort zone, experiencing new things, opening your eyes to new things. And we do fall into the comforts of life when we stay in the same environment all the time. And so, but I was also somebody that was so used to moving that I realized I really was bored and I needed kind of that, the energy I got from going someplace new. And so, um, yeah, so moved to Austin, but now I love Austin. I can't imagine, I can't imagine leaving here because it's so great. So a Texas gal, did you yeah. ever imagine that? Well, I was always, the, the decision to move to Dallas was, it was kind of like, this was like, I moved in 1996. So kind of mid 90s, like country music was huge. Garth Brooks was like, you know, really bringing kind of country music mainstream. And so there was just kind of that whole movement. And I just kind of loved country music. And, and then I ended up like, I decided to come visit and I went out country dancing one night and I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And so I just, just moved and tried something new. Yeah, and I love that you said you made this move by yourself, right? It was just you? Yeah, when I moved to Dallas, I just took a U-Haul and went by myself. I didn't know one person in Dallas, not one. And so I started, my company, I started with a skincare spa in Dallas. So basically as an esthetician doing facials and skin treatments, employing other estheticians. And then at, shortly after I opened, then I started to create the product line. And now fast forward 24 years we just shut down that location in dallas um and now we are 100 percent uh, focused on uh, product um, our e-commerce website is direct to consumer we're not in any retail stores have no plans to be and uh and then my blog continues to be um a big passion project of mine so. i love your blog it's i will say there's there's so much information out there on skincare and i feel like when you find somebody who's reliable who has the experience who's trustworthy you need to stick with that mm -hmm. um yeah. and so you know i really appreciate it like you've been my go-to for advice just because you're not you. some joe schmuckatelli who just rolled up and was like this is what right. I think you should do. You know, you've, you've got incredible experience and so much wisdom on this topic. So much so that you said even that, you know, we can't keep putting skincare into these three or four boxes and eventually developed your nine different skin types. Yeah. So what led you to, to develop that? Yeah. So, you know, I think I have a real advantage because being an esthetician working hands-on with skin, I mean, you really get to know people's skin. I mean, your your face is literally one inch from their face, you know, and you see a lot. And when I was in school to become an esthetician, you know, they were still just promoting the kind of the standard dry, normal, oily skin types. Product lines were geared to dry, normal, oily. 
and it was really limiting. And then all of a sudden when you're working as an esthetician, you're like, well, wait a minute. Like my client has way more going on than dry, normal, oily. Like for example, you know, they're 26 and they still get like adult hormonal acne. And, but yet they are now starting to see some fine lines come in and now they're worried, worried about aging. So it's like, how do you balance both of those? Right? Like, and it's kind of like most lines, it's like, sorry, take your pick. You either have to use anti-aging and it's heavy and greasy and gooey and it might break you out, but that's the price you pay for aging uh, or anti-aging or, hey, deal with the breakouts, treat your skin like a teenager, dry it out. So there's never like a middle ground. And so the problem I looked to solve was, you know, giving people a routine that was truly customized for their skin type because I believe there's nine different types of skin. And people can go to ReneeRillo.com and take our skin type quiz and be put into one of the skin types. And then they, it will have, it will recommend a curated routine for them. So I have 50 products in my line, currently five more in development. Um, so there's a little bit for everyone. And I will say I'm a skin, I'm a skin type two. And I started using these products. Out of, truly, I got to the point with my skin where I was, I'm very similar to actually, you know, the 26 year old you um, explained. I've never had acne growing up was very, very lucky with that. My brother is 15 and is the opposite. And so I, I definitely feel very, very grateful for that. But as I became an adult, I noticed I would get more breakouts. And I had, um, I even had um, an esthetician tell me that I had inflammation and it wasn't actually acne. And I was like, oh my God, what do I do? And I just got to the point where I wasn't feeling like anything was working, which is actually, I think, how I ended up finding, um, finding out about you. And I've been using your products for a bit now and it's actually funny. I woke up this morning and I was like, thank freaking God. <laughs> like I am so, like, I'm starting to finally see those improvements. And so I think it's, it's true, right? You can't put like these blanket statements on skin because what I'm experiencing, you know, as a 23 year old might be very different to what, you know, my mom is experiencing as, you know, a 52 year old. So I think that's really, really interesting. Um, yeah. So what do you believe has set your your products apart from other people within the industry? Well, I, you know, aside from the nine skin types, um, I'm very hands-on with formulation. Um, I've taken, while I didn't go to college, I have taken a lot of cosmetic chemistry courses mm -hmm. at UCLA. Um, I think uh, I'm super involved with, with, with formulation. So it's really like my my stamp of approval on all of them. Mm -hmm. um, the actual products, I think, um, you know, we tap cast into uh, the best of science and the best of nature. So it's not an organic line. I would never have an organic line. And the reason for that is because our people who come to us are really looking to drive results. And, you know, if you don't have good active ingredients in it at, that really work with delivery systems that really work, you're just not going to get the results. And so mm -hmm. I, I definitely focus on science because the reality is synthetic ingredients are going to give you better results um, if you're looking to problem solve certain things. Um, but then on the flip side, I avoid unnecessary things that um, may not be the healthiest for the skin. So I, I don't use any synthetic fragrances, synthetic dyes. I don't use um, you know, mineral oil or petroleum. So petroleum based, uh, based ingredients, um, you know, 
we avoid parabens, we don't use sulfate. So, you know, we leave out a lot of the mm -hmm. stuff. So it's kind of a clean science line is probably the best way I would describe it. And there's plenty of clean science lines out there. Um, but uh, yeah. Well, and it's interesting because I've had, I've heard that argument a lot about clean beauty, um, you know, and that sometimes it's not, it doesn't necessarily get like the job done. You know, I've, I've heard this argument kind of over and over again. And so I do think that it's really interesting, you know, the different takes on everything. Cause sometimes I think clean beauty can almost become like a buzzword in a mm -hmm. way, um, which is I'm sure something that you in this field kind of have to combat every so often. Um, so it is, it, it's very interesting. And I would imagine every year, I feel like too, there are so many different developments and research and whatnot that come out about skincare. How do you stay on top of all of the new trendiness in terms of skincare and beauty? Right. Well, I mean, it's, you know, the trend, right? So I've been doing this for so long. So I've seen so many trends come and go. So I tend not to hop on any trends. Um, because trends are trends. They're going to, they're going to be hot and then they're going to be out. And when it comes to ingredients, you know, there are trendy ingredients and, but a lot of people, you know, hop on trends to get the buzz. And but then months later, you'll never even hear about these ingredients anymore because the science just wasn't there to show that it really did anything better than something else did. Yeah. And so I, you know, I certainly, you know, working close with all the labs that I work with and then certainly all the scientific journals that I, um, that I subscribe to and my professor at UCLA for cosmetic chemistry, you know, so I keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on. I hear about a lot of these new ingredients and I make a decision if it's something that my gut tells me it's going to really be, um, a mainstay, right? So like, because mainstay things are things that actually are proven to work. Vitamin C, peptides, acids, retinol, you know, they're, they're things that really aren't going to go away because they're so proven to work. And then there's other ingredients that, you know, again, come and go. And, and I just, I've never been one to just jump on a trend for the sake of a trend. What has been a trend that you were like, yeah, this, this shit is not going to stick around. Has there been any where you're like, yeah, I'm not getting on this train? Um, I mean, yeah, a million things. Um, I mean, just a lot of ingredients. Um, yeah, I mean, different ingredients through the years. Also, like sheet masks. I wasn't, I mean, they're still big and I'm not, and, but it, obviously they were super trendy, right? Because they're really Instagrammable and have a good visual and they're still here. Um, but like I made it, I mean, I could have easily come out with a sheet mask, but I looked at it as one, I just didn't like, like kind of the waste, you know, like kind of, I didn't really think it's great for the environment. Secondly, every face is different. And part of being an esthetician, the faces are all shapes and sizes. And so when you put on these sheet masks, they never fit everybody, right? They're either people have bigger faces. And so then the mask is only coming to here. You know, it's hard to like get them everywhere, the nose hole eyes. And so being just kind of sometimes more of a hassle than they're worth. And if they don't touch yeah. the skin and really lay flat and they're not on the skin, then you're not even getting the results. So like you have to, you know, 
So using a good like gel-based mask can deliver just as much hydration, but you can apply it exactly where it needs to go and you don't have to kind of mess around with this like this piece of material that is just kind of awkward. Yeah, absolutely. So to switch gears a little bit for somebody who might just be getting into a skincare routine, what are the go-to products that you would recommend? And I know it's, it's difficult based on like everybody's skin is so different. Are there, are there any kind of general things that you think everybody should be using in their daily routine? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the basics, right? The basic is going to be at the very least a cleanser, a daytime sunscreen and a nighttime non-sunscreen moisturizer, right? Like that's cleansing and moisturizing. That's the basics. That's the foundation for everything. You need to keep your skin clean. You need to keep impurities and dirt and bacteria off the skin. You need to get makeup off the skin. So that's the role of a cleanser. A moisturizer is about protection. It's about protecting your skin from the environment. It's about putting a little barrier over your skin to keep moisture in the skin. And then also at the same time, it's delivering water into the skin because your skin cells are like fish and need water to live. If, it's, if a moisturizer has sunscreen in it, it's obviously, you know, um, cutting out damage. So those are the two or the three products that you need. From there, um, I recommend getting into a toner. I think a toner is considered also a basic uh, product. And it should be important uh, to use after cleansing. It gets rid of chlorines, minerals, and tap waters that are found, um, uh, you know, that are found in your tap water, and you want to wipe that off. But also, when you leave the skin damp from your toner, it's delivering whatever ingredients are in the toner, but also it's infusing a lot of water into the skin. When you apply your moisturizer over it, it holds in all that water. And then also, um, you know, for, for skin types that need hydration but maybe they're still oily and prone to breakouts. You know, you know, you know, cause a lot of people are like, Oh, I'm using some acne medication and I get a little dried out. Well, you don't want to use, use heavier moisturizer or things that are too rich because it could block your pores. So toners are a great way to really give your skin water and moisture to make it feel less tight and less dry uh, without worrying about it, blocking your pores and causing problems. And then from there, um, you want to work into a serum. So daytime would be like a good antioxidant vitamin C serum. At night, I would recommend, my first serum I would recommend is an exfoliating acid serum because every skin type, every single skin type can benefit from an acid. Now there's different ones. I have four different ones in my line, but, um, you know, they all help from everything from, you know, just keeping the skin looking glowy to, you know, uh, lifting discoloration from brown spots and post breakout marks to untrapping untra clogged pores to prevent breakouts, um, just stimulating cell turnover that slows down with age, um, softening lines. And so it's everybody benefits. You just have to choose the right one for your skin type. And okay. You use that underneath the moisturizer a few nights a week. Okay. And then I read one of your more, more recent blog posts about kind of debunking this myth that water is what hydrates, like physically drinking the water is what hydrates our skin. And you came out and said, no, that that's not, that's not legit. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah. So the research just mainly shows that water is the least effective way to hydrate the skin. Water is important. Our bodies are made majority of water. So you need that. I mean, you don't want to ever dehydrate um, and it will show in your skin. But at the point that dehydration shows in the skin, I mean, it's from not drinking any water, right? And at that point you can't even live without drinking water. Right. But 
Um, if you're talking about the skin, um, what it's the top layers of the skin that see the world, right? And so the top layers are far more, I mean, they're gonna get way more hydrated from something topically you put on it, or, or vice versa, if you're using something really drying, you're gonna really dehydrate and that's gonna show. So um, yeah, I mean, people who are like, oh, my skin feels so dry, but I drink so much water and it's just, you know, they can drink water all day long and it's just not gonna get to the top layers of the skin the way skincare products will. Yeah. Yeah. I found that very interesting because that was something I had heard just over and over again, drink more water. Cause I think everybody thinks that like water is the key to everything. And I think it's the key to a lot, but your skin, yeah, I drink tons of water. Yeah. Right. But your skin like, needs some other forms of hydration and that's where I mean, you drink a lot of water, but you're using a really dry cleanser. You're using an alcohol-based toner. You don't use moisturizer. I mean, that's going to really affect hydration levels in the skin. Yeah. And now, so what are some of the, the common mistakes you see your clients have made, maybe specifically for our listeners in their 20s that a lot of 20-year-olds make? Um, not taking their sunscreen seriously. And so, you know, they might be like, oh, I have it in my makeup or something, but maybe they don't wear their makeup every day. Or they're like, oh yeah, it's built in into my moisturizer, but like, but they're acne prone. And so they use it really sparingly. Um, so like really taking sunscreen and sun protection seriously at an early age, because it's all about prevention, right? It's much easier to prevent the premature signs of aging than it is to get rid of them once they've appeared. And so people really need to recognize that, that sun damage that leads to wrinkles and discoloration and the breakdown of the skin comes from everyday UV light. So, you know, some people are like, oh, well, you know, I'm not outside. I don't wear sunscreen. I don't need it. And so getting into the habit of applying a moisturizer with a sunscreen, finding one that's compatible enough with your skin type that doesn't feel too heavy or greasy that you can apply it with a heavy hand. Because sunscreen is are less about the number than it is about how generously you apply it. And so you need to really coat the skin really nicely. You need to wear it 365 days a year, inside or out, um, and really being serious about your about your sunscreen in your 20s. So I'm always educating my, my clients about how to do their sunscreen correctly because, again, it's all about prevention. And now one thing I had heard you say is, um, and I, I might be messing this up, but a nickel size for your face, right? And then reapply on your neck. Right. And then a second application to the neck. So treat it as two different areas. Okay. Okay. Another, another thing that I see with people in their 20s, kind of a mistake they make is, is you know, if, especially if they still break out. So the mistake they make is kind of not treating their blemishes correctly. Mm. And so the goal with any blemish is to make it go away as fast as humanly possible, right? We all want it to go away quickly. Right. And even more importantly, with the least amount of discoloration, because the reality is when you get a blemish, it may only last like a week or, you know, it lasts like a week, but it's the dark mark that lingers from the scarring, you know, that can linger for two months, if not more. And so, and so again, the goal being, we want it to go away fast as possible with the least amount of scarring. And what people don't understand is there's kind of a life cycle to a blemish. The minute you wake up with a blemish, 
you know, there's a whole process it goes through to try to heal itself. Sometimes it will come out through the surface of the skin. Sometimes it will stay as a bump or cystic and eventually your body reabsorbs it. Um, and so there's this life cycle. And the problem that people make is on every type of blemish, you know, they'll use the same one spot treatment, but different blemishes need different things. And they'll just kind of dry it out immediately. Well, the minute it shows up, that's not when it needs to be dried out. And so what's happening is, is if you dry out the skin with a spot treatment, and it is a blemish that wants to come out through the surface, like into a whitehead, if you have all this dead, dry skin cells on the top from using something really strong, this whitehead in this infection is saying, hey, I want to get out, and it can't get out. And so it stays longer in the skin. The longer it stays in the skin, it's more annoying. There's more discolor. There's more of a melanin response that's being set off. So there's more scarring. And some people feel like it looks less noticeable. Like, oh my God, I love that spot treatment. Yeah, it definitely works. It makes it less noticeable. Well, it's because when you dry out the skin, it creates opaque cells that are not see-through. So it's almost like covering it up. So people have the illusion of it look, looking like it's better, but really that blemish is still under there and staying around longer than it needs to be. So the the solution I created for that is we have a something called a, a zit care kit. Basically, okay. it's four spot treatments with step-by-step -step instructions on how to make, um, it says Renee's step-by-step -step guide for healing a blemish fast. And it tells you everything you need to do and it basically follows the life cycle of the blemish. So um, this is really, really important if you want your blemishes to go way fast with the least amount of scarring. That's, in, that's, that's so fascinating to me because I am totally who you just described of something pops up and I'm like, mm, let me put a little cream on it. And then I'm like, oh my God, I've been putting cream on every part of my face and nothing seems to be going away. And so this product, this, um, this zit kit is available on your website, correct? Okay. And it is the best investment you'll ever buy. It also has, because, you know, we hate blemishes and we want them to go away fast and they're super annoying. Um, it also has lancets in it, which are little um, needles that, uh, that you can pierce the blemish, but at the right stage of the life cycle. So the okay. card tells you exactly when you would pull that out. Oh, that's so interesting. So you really have done in-depth like an in-depth look into what we need rather than again, that one size fits all, here's your acne cream, go for it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, every blemish is different and has its own life cycle and needs to be, you know, the spot treatments need to be very strategic. And so this kit has four different treatments in it. So you pull out the right treatment at the right stage in the life cycle. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So I want to know your skincare routine. I want to know what what somebody like you does because you guys will see. I'm going to post um, an IGTV of, of, of bits and pieces of this conversation. And Renee is 50, has the most beautiful skin in the entire world. So what are your secrets? What do you do? So, well, first of all, I have a blog post. I'm going to look it up right now and see what it's called. If people go to my blog, which is at ReneeRouleau.com, and they type in the word 50 in the search, let me look for it, it will come up and it says, I just turned 50. Here's what I owe to looking younger than my age. Um, so, you know, I mean, I some people say I look younger, but it's also because I 
wear braids and have pink hair and this that throws <laughs> people off. So it's kind of like the whole illusion thing, right? Um, but yeah, so let me just touch on a couple of the things that um, I mentioned in this post. So one is I, you know, I moved every couple of years, but all the places we lived to we lived in um, don't have a lot of sun. Meaning, majority of my life I grew up in the Midwest, so it's basically like two months of summer, and it's essentially snowing the rest of the time of the year. And so, so I was lucky that I didn't have a lot of sun as a kid because, you know, it was it's not like I grew up in Florida or something, right? So, so I think you know, I think that is a big part of it. I mean, how much, how much sun you get as a child, that's going to show up when uh, you're older. Another thing is um, during high school, I was kind of a, I was body conscious um, and, you know, I was, had more weight on me than I wanted to have. So the last thing I ever wanted to do was be in a bathing suit. So when friends were like, oh, let's go to the beach. I'm like, no, how about not? And so, you know, high school is such a conscious age with yeah. boys and the whole thing. And so, but I look back on it and I'm like, oh my God, I loved the fact that like, I wasn't hanging around in a bikini with a size two, you know? And so, so I saved a lot of sun back then. And typically your teens and your early twenties, those are kind of your suntan years, right? That's when everybody wants a lot of color. So I was like, nope. Um, I also think, um, you know, being an esthetician and getting into it, you know, right when I was like 19, um, I started taking care of my skin even more seriously then. And so I think, you know, when I think about like, what's the secret or whatever, it's really about putting in the work, right? It's, yeah. it's no different than if you want to have six pack abs, guess what? You put in the work, right? There's no secret. And so, so I think I've just always made my skin a priority. And when I, when I, observe people's skin through the years that's really the underlying secret is that the people who care for their skin they wash it every night they're very meticulous about their routine and you know i think that's that's really what gives the best results a lot of times people look for like a magic product like what's the one secret product that's going to transform my skin and and there are definitely are products that will do that but I think it's just kind of the habits you do day in and day out kind of pay off. Yeah. Um, so generally my skin, I've, um, I've been a long time user of acids. So glycolic and lactic and salicylic and using exfoliating acid serums. Like I've been using them since, um, since I was in kind of my mid twenties when they first came out and I think long-term I've just faithfully been an acid exfoliator user, not overdoing it. I never use them every day. A lot of people do and you shouldn't, but I just think that that is probably the biggest game changer for my skin. Um, I think my skin would probably have way more pigment on it now at 50 because pigment cells rise to the surface with age, which is why people's skin, you know, starts getting brown spots and all of that. And I have very few brown spots. And I think it's because I've constantly been, been resurfacing my skin through the years. So it kind of doesn't even give pigment a chance to form. Um, I've also been using retinol for a long time. I have my retinol in my line called advanced resurfacing serum and, and I, you know, sunscreen every day. Um, and just really being meticulous about that. I mean, the minute I wake up in the morning, you know, cause I, I have a lot of windows in my home. I, I live in a glass house essentially. And, you know, so just constantly being conscious about, about sun. 
Yes. And I heard, I want to say it was Susan Yar who I heard this from that even when you are indoors, and I know you touched on it briefly earlier, even when you are indoors and even when it's raining, right, you should still have your sunscreen on. It's not just when the sun is out shining. Right. Yeah. Well, because, you know, what you really need to think about with sunscreen is it really should be called uh, daylight screen. Mm-hmm. You know, daylight is the enemy. So right now I'm sitting in front of a window. There's a lot of daylight coming in, but I have sunscreen. I have a SPF foundation on, so I'm good. Um, but yeah, the, the, the UV rays that damage the skin can penetrate through clouds. So even on a rainy day, you're still getting it. They can penetrate through windows. So I'm still getting it right now as we're sitting here. So yeah, again, going back to just really being meticulous about you know, wearing sunscreen daily and being really diligent about it. That's, that's the most important thing you could ever do. I mean, if you think about a miracle product, it's sunscreen because it's, it's the number one most biologically active product for the skin because it has the ability to stop the DNA damage that occurs from UV light. Yeah. Yeah. So guys, get your sunscreen, women, men, whomever get your SPF in your foundation is also important too. Sure, right. it gives another layer of protection, but you definitely want it on the skin first built into a moisturizer. And I, I also heard you say that foundation is an additional way to um, protect your face from the sun. It's like an added layer of protection. For sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, people come to me because they don't want to have to wear makeup, right? They're like, Renee, I have problem skin. I'm hiding under makeup. And I get that. And my goal is for them to feel comfortable not having to wear makeup. But I always tell them, no, no, no. Even if we get your, even when we get your skin cleared up, I still want you to wear makeup. And yes, yeah. it's because it gives additional protection. Even if, if your foundation doesn't say it has SPF in it, um, it still does because titanium dioxide, which is in, in most powders, uh, foundation powders and most um, liquid foundations, um, it has that ingredient in it, and that's a sunscreen ingredient. If it doesn't say it has SPF 15, it just meant that the brand didn't have it tested for an SPF because it's a very expensive process, and they're not, they decided they don't want to market it that way. But yes, um, foundation makeup and powder foundation is really important to use because it it gives additional sun protection and especially during the day you know your your skin gives off oil that degrades sunscreen so even the sunscreen that you put on in the morning may not be holding up as much as you think okay and now when people are looking for that that right um moisturizer that right sunscreen what's the number what's the spf number that you want to look for so I say a minimum of SPF 30, um, and most experts agree. I mean, I think, so 15 compared to 30, I want to say it's about, <clears throat> a 30 is about 4% more protection. So you kind of think of it 15 to 30, it's double, but if that's actually not the case. And then as it goes up from there, like 30, I think compared to 50, <clears throat> excuse me, I think it's like maybe 1% more protection. So it's the higher you go up, it's really not that much um, at all. Um, But the key is really not so much about the SPF number. It's about how generously you apply it on the skin. Okay. Okay. Now I want to talk to you about makeup wipes. What is your take on them? Um, I think it can be a good... I mean, some people like them. And if you want to just kind of wipe over the skin to maybe get off some initial makeup, that's fine. Um, But there's nothing that will 
be better for the skin than a traditional cleanse with water. Okay. So are you on the side of the double cleanse with an oil-based cleanser and then no. Okay. Talk to me about, see, there's so much information out there. Renee, give us your, give us your word. What's you think? Yeah. Okay. Well, so the problem that I have with the double cleanse is really the oil-based cleanser. Okay. Yes. You know, if you have heavy, heavy foundation, right? If you are somebody that wears it real heavy, there's no doubt you need something that has emollients in it that can break down the makeup. The thing that I don't like about using like a cleansing balm or um, a cleansing oil, yes, that can definitely break down makeup, but it leaves a residue on your skin. It kind of coats your skin. So even if you rinse off really well, it still kind of coats the skin. If you don't go into a second cleanse and cut that, which some people don't, they'll just use their balm as their cleanser and then roll into their toner, moisturizer, or whatever. But when you have that oil coating on the skin, and again, even if you can't feel it, but the reality is your skin feels really soft after you wash and it's that coating from the oil. So oil is oil-based. So then when you add in a toner, which is water-based or a water-based serum, like a vitamin C serum, they can't penetrate because if there's oil, there's a little oil film on the skin. And again, your skin doesn't have to be greasy, but there is a coating there. Then your water-based products can't penetrate into the skin. So okay. yes, if you use a balm, you should do a, a double cleanse um, to, to cut that oil. But I much prefer a cleanser that's more creamy in texture because then you never even leave like that layer of oil on the skin so the creamy based one so more think of like the texture of a moisturizer right use more of that consistency but something that just doesn't have a high high oil content um but that will break down your makeup well and then because there's not a lot of oil in it you don't even have to do a second cleanse you would just wipe it with a washcloth and then you could roll right into your toner but it's just it's the oils that are a little challenging and especially if you're somebody that's prone to clog pores you know you just don't want oil on the skin so um so yeah i think they're just a little the simplest way i would say about cleansing balms and cleansing oils that they're just kind of overkill okay. um and you risk them not coming off and then and then potentially clogging the pores or like i said your other performance products not being able to penetrate through as effectively. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Like so it's not that I don't like a double cleanse. Yes, you can do a double cleanse, but I prefer people using something lighter to do that first cleanse for makeup. Okay. All right. So let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk more about your role as an entrepreneur. So was this something you had always envisioned? I know you said you weren't the traditional student in terms of you didn't go to like a four-year university or whatever, but did you always kind of have this in you that you knew you were going to eventually own your own business? Yeah, always, always. So yeah. So, um, you know, as a kid, I was like the queen of the lemonade stands. Um, I, uh, I was always looking to make money. Like I loved it. I loved being able, you know, to start with an idea. I always think about it like a garden. You plant a seed, you water it, you water it, and if all goes well, it blooms and, and it creates something magical. And so so I loved, I was also never shy of being a self-promoter, right? I was super confident. I believed in myself. So I could, somebody once told me I could sell ice to an Eskimo. And so, um, so in high school, um, I one of the things I did was, um, I, uh, 
I started a business where I took people's senior photos. So I was really into photography. So like all in our yearbooks are all pictures that I took. So that was kind of my side hustle. And then I had a job working at a, at a pharmacy. And so I was always, I just loved working. I loved the satisfaction of getting a paycheck. And so I, I didn't think I would start my first business when I was 21, but I think like every entrepreneur, when you work for someone else, first of all, you're getting paid to learn. But secondly, you kind of, watch you know you kind of observe someone say hey i wouldn't do it this way right like oh this is definitely how i wouldn't do it and i when i think about that salon owner that i worked for many years ago it was such a great gift because she was um really not a good business owner and not a great person but it was such a great gift because i didn't work for that many people growing up and so it taught me what not to do i got to feel what it feels like to work for a crappy boss right and that's you don't, you don't appreciate a good boss, right? And so if, if they were a great boss and a great owner, I wouldn't have valued it as much. But I remember, um, you know, what it felt like to not be treated the way I thought I should be. And, and so it was an invaluable gift and I really enjoyed that experience. Yeah, and I think a lot of times, like you said, you don't appreciate the good boss. You, if anything, learn more from the bad one, which is okay as long as you choose not to replicate those actions that yeah. you were yeah. so taken aback by. Right. Yeah. I mean, I had very, you know, I only worked for a couple of years before I started my own business. So, I mean, I, I'm just thankful that I was able to have that perspective of not feeling like a valued employee. And I was like, no, yeah. won't do that to my people. So, Absolutely. yeah. So I, I, you know, started that first business when I was 21 and mainly it was just because I saw flaws and gaps and, and I felt like I could provide a better solution. Yeah. And now what was it like getting into the more like chemical side of skincare? You mean kind of like, you mean the more science side? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like the actual product creation, what was that like? Yeah. I, I mean, at the end of the day, it's uh, it's a collaborative, um, you know, uh, journey and I'm not a cosmetic chemist and so I need the cosmetic chemist input right. um, I'm more of the the hands-on what I need it to do and so it's a really fun process because I bring things like all of my chemists learn so much from me because I'm the one out in the field working on people's faces they're just in a lab all day right they don't have a lot of human you know interaction and so it's a really fun partnership because we have strengths and we make magic happen by coming together. And I think, um, um, yeah, I've learned so much, you know, from all the cosmetic chemistry courses I've taken. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, there's just no, there's, a, there's, a, I, I think of developing a skincare product. It's really like art. I mean, it's really art and it, it really from naming the product to, you know, figuring out what, what kind of performance I wanted to have, which ingredients are going to allow me to do that, which combination of ingredients. Um, and I mean, it's a really creative process. So a lot of times when I'm coming up with new products, I have to like go on a weekend retreat and just kind of hunker down for a weekend, kind of almost, almost like how writers do, right? When they're yeah. writing a book, they just kind of go on lockdown. And that's, that's the creative experience for me for developing a new product. I mean, I really have to focus and, and, um, kind of think through it really methodically. It's a really fun experience. 
Because in a way, it's a form of art, you know, comparing, comparing it to writing. It's a craft, right, in a way, which is a pretty, pretty cool experience to have. And I, I can imagine that, you know, the thought process of getting a new product out in the world. So it's like it's like having this new little baby where it's this thought that you devote so much time and energy to. And then you get to see it go out into the world, which is beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's I think the advantage that I have as, a, as opposed to a lot of brand founders is most people when they start a brand, if they don't have kind of the hands-on experience I do, they build one for themselves, right? Like, oh, my skin was so sensitive and I had a hard time finding things that work, so I created my own line. That's all fine and good. Um, but I think, you know, and, and, and why my line is so extensive, you know, obviously it's based on the nine skin types, but when you work with people for 30 years and you constantly hear the same skin concerns, same skin issues or a variety of skin issues, but you're constantly getting that feedback from people all the time. And, and there were a few years that I stopped being a service provider. I didn't take any clients at all because I was focusing on product development. And so I stepped away from the treatment room and a few years later I decided to go back and start taking a little bit of, you know, some clients, but, what I really realized is working with clients is my research. Like I need to have those, those conversations. I need to touch skin. I need to feel it. And, and, and being away from it, I, I lost a lot, you know? And, and so I love, and I still now take a handful of clients. I'm kind of a traveling esthetician. I take clients in LA. Um, but I, I love, those one-on-one -on -one interactions and to be able to hear the concerns and see what's going on with faces. I mean, it's super valuable. Yes, 100%. And you're absolutely right. That's your research. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm an English teacher. I teach high school. And for me, yeah. it's like, yeah, I learned so much, not from like a textbook or from like watching another teacher, which is all great. There's so much right. learned from that. Sure. But in this first yeah. year of teaching, I have learned so, I mean, so much that nothing could have prepared me for. So right. I totally understand what you mean of the real growth comes from that human to human interaction. Yeah. Real world. Yeah. And it's interesting because <clears throat> it's interesting because when it comes to skin, there's so many conflicting opinions, right? So when you said to me, oh, Renee, I love your blog. I trust you. I'm like, okay, obey Renee. This is, I'm good. But there's a lot of people with different belief systems than me, right? A lot of other skincare experts or, you know, people online will say, oh my gosh, she's totally wrong. That's not true at all. And, and the reality is, is that people form their opinion based on their experience, mm -hmm. right? So it's no different than if you go to a doctor and they diagnose you with something, they say, go get a second opinion or a third opinion. You can go to three different doctors and they can give you three different diagnoses, right? And it's, but it's based on what their experience is. So when you hear something enough, when you see something enough, you finally go, wow, maybe there's some truth to this. And so my 30 years, this is, my blog is all about what 30 years has taught me. And, and, and it's challenging for consumers because who do you trust, right? Because I could say, oh, do this. And someone else says, no, no, no. My experience is to do this. Who's right, who's wrong? It's, I mean, it's, it's really hard, but it does make it hard for the consumer because there's so many conflicting opinions out there. Yes, and I know as a consumer, what I found um, very trustworthy with you and your brand was the credibility that you had from those 30 years. It wasn't like you have been at this for three seconds and are like, 
here's my brand, you know, here's my skincare line. It was, you know, here's what I've learned. Here's the 30 years of physical human to human experience that I have. And I think this can help you. Yeah. So I remember in the early years, like I, I, I determined, I found a pattern with clients that were eating dairy and it was causing cystic acne on the chin and jawline. And after I, you know, recommended to enough people, cut out your dairy, cut out your dairy, let's try this, let's try that. Um, and all of a sudden it went away, you know, for 30 years, I've been telling people, Hey, try cutting out dairy. And for the majority of people, it will help their chin, chin and jawline breakouts go away. Well, for years, people were like, no, there's no correlation between dairy and skin. And I was, and that's fine because no one had really done studies or proven it or whatever. And now they're like, oh yeah, actually dairy, it does impact it. But I saw it enough with my own clients, right? Yep. This is my own research. This is my own scientific studies. And, and uh, so I, again, I think, you know, I've always been experimenting with my, my clients, trying different things. But if all of a sudden you start noticing something, and you're like, wow, I discovered something or I'm really onto something. But having that that ability to, to work with people and have them be your little, you know, little testers is really valuable. Absolutely. So we have a segment on the show called Truth and Trial. Before we get into that, though, I want to have the opposite uh, comment commentary on it, which is what has been your greatest success in your career up until this point? Um getting an acknowledgement for a best place to work a couple weeks ago. That's amazing. By the way, that's such a big deal. That, I, mean, you know, it's, um, I mean, I've had a lot of acknowledgement and recognition through the years. Um, I have awards here in my home office that are super meaningful to me. A lot of it is product awards. Um, and that's super meaningful for me because, of course, you know, like I, like I said, what we were talking about, like a product is a piece of art, you know, it's created just from my own brain, my, my own imagination. And then when you get an award for it, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And um, but the reason why the best place to work in Austin is most meaningful is because you're really impacting people's lives, right? Like, I mean, obviously I impact people's skin when somebody uses my famous anti-bump solution and their cystic acne goes away, like, and you hear about it, it's amazing, it's an amazing feeling. If, but we spend the majority of our life at work. Uh, well, not during a pandemic, but um, right. <laughs> majority of our life at work with coworkers, we spend more time with you know, coworkers than we do the people we love the most. And so to provide an environment, you know, because the award wasn't based on profits and revenues and growth. And it's based on, um, it was a, a anonymous survey um, to all of our employees. And so we never saw anything. And for them, for us to be able to win meant our employees um, said great things about us. And so, yeah, to be able to allow people a good quality of life by looking forward to coming to work, a healthy environment, good relationships, good friendships, um, great benefits, you know, being able to care for themselves, care for their families, generous pay. I mean, that's super valuable and impactful. And it's really to date my most proud, proudest accomplishment. 
Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, you are, you're working with people on the day-to-day basis. I had, before I started teaching, I had a principal look at me um, and he said, remember, you know, you teach people and then you teach English as if to say, focus on the humans in front of you and the greatness will come from that. So in your case, the, the success, the product, the, the whatever will come, but you've got to focus on the people first. For sure. Yeah. No, it's all about people. It's all about human connection, relationships. I mean, yeah, the quality of the quality of the the health and quality of our relationships, you know, dictates the quality of our life. You know, I mean, if we're in bad relationships, be it at work, be it at personal, I mean our, our life is really impacted. One hundred percent. Yeah. So that that's really exciting. And and the truth of the matter, what what I also realize as an employer every day I'm asked to make decisions. And these are things that have consequences, good or bad, whether for me, for the company, for our team. I mean, and going back to kind of the core values for my company, I mean, it always ensures that we're making the right decisions that best benefit everybody in our company. Like I don't, you know, when they always say there's like, you know, in big corporations, there's corporate greed and everybody's treated as a number. I can see why that happens because if all you're focused on is the bottom line and dollars and cents, you're going to have to make decisions that aren't, that don't come from the heart, you know? And so I think for me, I've always been a people over profits mentality um, with my company. And so a lot of the decisions that I make, um, is with that in mind and like how will this affect our team and and certainly during this pandemic i mean we didn't have to make any layoffs in fact we're hiring two new people now and we're still in a pandemic and uh um but yeah to to have everybody feel safe and secure in a job during a tough time i mean it's it's great morale has been really wonderful and, and i'm grateful i'm lucky yes and that's phenomenal congratulations that's a that's a incredible accomplishment Thank so I'm going to turn, I'm going to turn that on its head. What has been the greatest trial that you've experienced in your career? And the second part of that is what has it taught you? Yeah. Um, greatest trial. I think the greatest trial is my inability to trust, let go and delegate. Hmm. I, think, you know, when you start a company, when you start a business, you wear every, every hat, you do every job and, and you do it so often and repetitively that you can do it with your eyes closed. And so sometimes when you try to delegate some, something, someone won't do it quite the way you do it. And so, so then you can get frustrated because you're like, I should have just done it myself. Right. And, and so Somebody said to me once, if they, if you can, if you can get it off your plate to get free time back so you can focus on, on more important things or whatever, if they can do it 80% as well, is that doable? You know, like, and I'm like, yeah, so it will never be a hundred percent, right? No one's ever going to do exactly the way I do it or whatever, but 80%, it's pretty good. And so having that mentality was, was really helpful to me. But I, so I would say kind of the trial and what I learned is just, I should have let go of things a lot, you know, a lot um, earlier in my career. I should have delegated more, micromanaged as much. I shouldn't have, because I, I lost, I remember one, 
one one employee that I had that was I was kind of grooming her to take over for me as a marketing director and and I just I couldn't let go and I just had to be breathing down her neck a lot and not really letting her have the control she needed to and and I lost her we're still really good friends and I've apologized to her a million times because I've since hired a marketing director and now I really let go a lot but you know I guess I just wasn't in that place at that time but I I, uh, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I can't do it all, but the things that I need to be doing are the things that I'm really good at or really like doing. It's inherently wired for, and, and every day I'm always looking to make sure that I'm spending my time and energy where, where I'm playing to my strengths. Yes. Yes. And I think that's wonderful advice to any entrepreneur and, and frankly, any person, right? I think you can apply this in, in many different facets of life, um, especially, you know, for people who are in business for themselves is I imagine one of the hardest things to do is to let go and to kind of give this power over to somebody. And, you know, there's so much trust that goes into that. And I would, I would, I would imagine too, your hiring process has got to be very different than it would be if, you know, at a big corporation, because there's so much more that you're looking for because it is a smaller company. Right. People do have to wear multiple hats. And right. also when you're in a, you know, we have 19 people, that's a small team. And so, you know, people are really impacted by, you know, their coworkers. And so we're really, we, we really do our due diligence to make sure people come into our company are, are, we're playing to their strengths. They're in alignment with our core values. They really buy into our vision because at the end of the day, we all need to be rowing in the same direction and in the same boat. And, and we've done a really good job with that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, Renee, thank you so much for coming on and taking time out of your day to chat with, to chat with me and share your wisdom with our listeners. Where can people find you? Where can they hang out with you? So ReneeRouleau.com, take the skin type quiz. My personal Instagram is ReneeRouleau. Um, that's kind of more behind the scenes of my life and uh, my adventures and life as a you know founder, company owner. Um, and then we have our company Instagram, Facebook, and um, Instagram page, which is Renee Rouleau Skincare. We also have our YouTube channel and Pinterest. Um, so yeah, all the places that you can find us are there. So. Awesome. And guys, I will link all of that in the show notes. Yes. Including your blog. I'll have all of that listed. So check her out. See her on her motorcycle, right? That's something that's so cool. And wear your sunscreen guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of 20 something trials and we'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you, Gabby.